This message is brought to you by DoNotAge.org, the longevity research organisation that's on a mission to extend health span for as many people as possible via products that actually work. Start your journey today at DoNotAge.org and use code LAMA for a 10% discount. That's L-L-A-M-A. It's so easy to look at people and prejudge them and to think, like, I just see an old person. I don't see the child as she was growing up or the teenager or the, the woman who got married or the man who got the job promotion or traveled overseas. But the people in front of us, these aging population, they have tons of stories and a whole beautiful life lived. Hello and welcome again to Llama, the Live Long and Master Aging podcast. I'm Peter Bowes. This is where we explore the science and stories behind human longevity. This is another episode from the TED Med conference held recently in La Quinta, California. I'm delighted to welcome to the podcast Joe Schneier. Joe is the CEO at Cognotion Inc., a New York-based startup that's really doing some fascinating work to help our rapidly aging population, that's all of us really, and to inspire people to live better lives. It's a big subject. Joe, welcome to the Lama Podcast. Thank you. Glad to be here. It's good to see you. We can expand on all of that. First of all, though, Cognotion, what is it? Um, So Cognotion is a combination of cognition and emotion. Um, And the reason that we chose that name is we look at ways to accelerate learning and understanding of a subject using um, emotionally driven story-based training. And we've been doing this for about 15 years in a number of different settings. And what we've found is that if you have an honest conversation with somebody, then they start to be able to envision who they are in this setting, um, and they can see themselves on the screen. And then when they go into the job, they remember emotionally what it was like to see the training on the screen. And it results in higher productivity and higher retention rates. How did you get into this? My route to get here was a bit circuitous. I started my career, I was in Israel, and I was um, working with this group run out of Johns Hopkins, uh, SAIS, on the field of human trafficking. And I was spending my days in prisons interviewing young women who had been trafficked into Israel. And there was one day that I was sitting across the table from this woman, and I looked at her and I said to myself, you know, what this woman needs is a job. She needs an economy that's going to support her. She needs a place to be in this world. And that really shifted my focus uh, away from just research and into how can we educate populations to increase opportunity for them. So when we founded Cognotion, we were looking at first, how do we take people with a high school diploma, uh, 64% of Americans don't get a four-year degree, and find a place in the economy where they can thrive and have an opportunity to succeed in this world. And we looked at a number of different industries. Uh, so we didn't land on healthcare to start, but we really examined where in the market um, that, that could be the best place for them. We got to healthcare because that's where the fastest growing jobs are. And we also looked at that area and we saw, you know, these types of workers are looking for meaning. I guess we all are in their jobs. And this is a space in the market where they can feel like they're making a difference and that they're not nobody, but they're, they're somebody. 
And also, on the flip side, we have this massive aging population that is rapidly moving into uh, retirement, and we have very little plan on how we're going to handle that. And this is us. This is your parents, your grandparents. Everyone is going to face this problem. Which is exactly why I said, really, this is all of us. We, we often talk about, and sometimes the, the phrase is used glibly, the aging population. We're all aging every single yeah. day and, and faster than we perhaps want to acknowledge sometimes. So, yes, this is, and it is a growing demographic as well. And, and the figures exponentially are increasing. So, I mean, you're absolutely right. You're highlighting a, a population that has great needs. I'm curious, um, before you, you've explained a little bit about your background, what's your education and uh, what, what, what were your special interests to start with? Um, well, uh, my education has nothing to do with this field at all. So, um, Often I find that. <laughs> <laughs> my, so I have a co-founder and we've um, built and sold two companies in the past together and this is our third one together. Um, and he's a securities attorney by training. He was at Wilson Sonsini, also nothing to do with what we're doing. My degree is actually in painting, mm. really nothing to do with what <laughs> we're doing. But what I found with it's somewhat counterintuitive, but when you get a creative degree, it does give you a perspective on things that is different than people who are approaching it head on. And one of the things that that's afforded to me is, so I, I work for a number of years with um, behavioral research scientists looking at ways to change behavior using story. And it's kind of nice to be in the space and say, you know, I'm the dumbest one in this room, but I can take your great ideas that are sitting filed away that nobody is ever going to read and translate them into a medium where anybody can understand what we're talking about. So, yeah, not not a straightforward path. Yeah, no, but it, it's interesting. And uh, I, I often find that, as I say, that someone will spend their first 25 years, they think, focusing on one career direction and then dramatically and suddenly change to something else. But it doesn't mean to say that the first 25 years are wasted. I think you can always draw upon your initial interests and, and training and, and they always stay with you. So let's talk in more detail about Cognotion. And what, what essentially you are talking about is bringing out Abilities in people that sometimes they refuse to acknowledge for themselves. Right, right. What we find is that there's a lot of untapped potential in society. Um, it cannot be that 64% of the population that doesn't get a four-year degree is worthless. Those people have a lot to offer. And it used to be that there were places in the economy where they felt like, I have a real job that means something to me. So the first thing that we look at is how do you get somebody to change their story about themselves first, to, for them to believe, first of all, that they could succeed in the training, and secondly, that they, have, they could succeed in the job, and not just succeed, but that they could begin to have empathy for themselves and their own humanity, as well as empathy for the person that they're going to be caring for. And that's, that has to happen. We, talk, we say that it's a, a moment of original awareness. So... And one other way that I've explained it in the past is um, most of us had one teacher in our schooling that was the teacher where we said, I get it. I understand who I can be in this world. There's something that opens up for you. The teacher that understands you. Yeah. And I think and that sees you. We, yeah. Yes, then sees you. I think yeah. we, we all feel that, that. And we can probably, for the rest of our lives, remember who that teacher was. Right. But not everyone has that experience. There's a lot of people that go through all of school and all they've heard is you're meaningless, you're worthless. And so one of the things that we feel like is really important 
is to start the training by giving them that moment of original awareness. Give, so through a digital product, opening up their minds to, so that they feel like, I can do this. Yeah. How do you then initially connect with these people? Um, so we've changed the model. Uh, typically in the past, training companies would sell um, their products to the consumer. So I'm a 19-year-old. I want to get this job. I'm going to go through this training program, usually in person. What we did is we shifted the model where we're selling to the healthcare organizations. Um, they have a massive talent shortage. They need to hire a ton of people. So we shift the cost to them, and that opens up a much larger talent pool than what would have been available if we were looking for people that could afford to pay for the certification training. So our offering to people that want to become caregivers is um, free training, on your own time, um, and guaranteed employment uh, if you pass the certification test. So it's pretty easy that to find people. Like <laughs> yeah, 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 it's, yeah. We're not having problems on that end. And the recruitment, how do you, do you advertise? Is it word of mouth? How, how do people actually find you? So it depends on the region. So let's say you have a company that is a skilled nursing facility company. Um, they may have 100 locations. Um, those locations could be spread out all over the country. And what we're doing is we're tying um, the recruitment to the number of people that each of those facility needs on any given month. So we're not training a surplus. We're training to the employer's needs. Um, and, you know, thankfully, we live in an age where hyper-local targeting is, is pretty easy. Um, so we do online advertising. You know, if we're in rural Kentucky, maybe word of mouth is the better way to go about it. Um, but uh, usually when the word gets out, we, we were able to bring people in. So tell me more about the actual training. You, you have someone who initially might feel that they have nothing to offer, that they are, to put it at its most negative, worthless yeah. in society. How do you bring out their talents and their abilities? So the first stage in our process um, when we're developing a product is to have really honest conversations with both applicants and current workers and to really understand what are the stories they're telling themselves now? How, how do they feel about themselves? What is the demographic? You know, if, if you're watching a training and all you see on the screen are a bunch of white people in fancy dresses and you're like, that's not me. Um, it's not going to resonate with you. So you you have to go to the the place of an honest conversation in in the medium of the training to start off with. And that can sometimes be edgy. It's not necessarily as clean and neat as what typical training is. But it, when you start somebody there, um, then they're willing to believe you as you carry them through the path of learning these other pieces. But if you start where they say, like, this feels like school, I didn't like school. Or, you know. I think that's one of the great yeah. impediments, isn't it, for a lot of people? Yeah. Thinking about retraining or perhaps even training for the first time, but at an age that isn't, isn't school age. It could be 20s, 30s, 40s. That there is that vision in your mind that you're going back to a classroom, and, and most people don't want to do that. Right. Most people don't want to do it, and a lot of people feel like, I didn't do well in that. How do you think that I'm going to do well in this? So we actually visually have to create the product so that they do, don't replicate the feeling of being in a classroom. We wanted to replicate more, you know, what it feels like when you go on Netflix. Um, it, uh, much more Make engaging. Yeah. So they, they actually enjoy it and, and look forward to it like they might look right. forward to 
to Netflix. Right. So what's the next step then? They get into the training, in, again, a practical sort of sense. So yeah. How does the learning curve develop? Yeah, so um, the programs are between 60 to 80 hours long. So they're, they're um, training for certification for these different roles. Um, and the training itself has to meet federal regulations and state regulations. So we're constricted in how the flow of the content goes. Um, but what we've done with that is we've created this uh, thread that goes through the entire training process that is um, a, a film narrative that feels like you're watching a show kind of like Grey's Anatomy. But in, embedded in there are all of the case studies that we've built out of what they need to learn. So they have something to hang their hat on. And then the, the training, the other pieces of the training, the simulations or the text all is anchored in that story. So they're learning it contextually, what they need to learn, not just some hypothetical about random people that they don't know. Um, so that's the... Is there a mixture of, of face-to-face training and online training? Um, so some of our clients are using it in a hybrid fashion. So they may have a trainer um, and they may bring together a class uh, in the location where you're going to work, right? So it's different than going to a college. It's in the workplace. It, but it's designed to be used um, uh, digitally. It can be used by just saying, here is an iPad or any other kind of tablet and go and study and come back when you're done. Um, at the end of their training, most of these roles require some kind of um, clinicals that, that they have to go through. Um, but that's always going to be. And are most of the roles that you're focusing on for the aging population in, in terms of healthcare? Yeah, so... <laughs> Most of the job growth is connected with the aging population. So we um, we may build out products that don't touch the aging population, but uh, for the most part, frontline healthcare workers deal mostly with the elderly. Um, and the first products that we put out um, are directly being sold to the post-acute care space. Um, we started with skilled nursing facilities. When you say products, what, what do you mean? The product itself is a training for certification digital good. It's, so, it's the course. It's, yeah. it's, it's the education. Right. That, that is the product, right? That product is, yeah, yeah, yeah. So the, and so the healthcare organizations are paying us on a per-person basis Got for it. the yeah. product. Yeah. yeah. And maybe just give me a, a few examples of, of the kind of roles, of the kind of jobs. Obviously, there's uh, certain medical jobs require a different level of, of education to what you can provide. So give me some examples. Um, so we look at a lot of the roles that end with assistant. So um, certified nursing assistant, uh, medical assistant, physical therapist assistant, occupational therapist assistant. Those make up the vast majority of healthcare workers. They are the bulk of the healthcare system, um, the front line and the mass. And uh, the courses take somewhere between six weeks to four months, depending on the job role. We're not doing things like RN or LPN. We don't, we don't want to compete with uh, the college's on that level, it's more the lower level ones. And do you find when people come to you that they have a desire to work with older people or they just maybe have a hunch that this is right for them? But they part of the education is that actually this can be a very rewarding 
career, perhaps more rewarding than they realized. Right, right. Um, if somebody is training to be a caregiver, uh, then they they know that they're probably going to be working with somebody, right an aging person. Um, if you're training to be a medical assistant, you might not have thought of that. Uh, you might not have thought that a lot of the people you're going to be serving are older uh, populations. Um, one of the things that happens with young people as they go into uh, a nursing home, um, often they feel a little bit like, I don't like this aging thing. It's scary to me. It's It smells different. I don't really relate to it. So one of the things we really focus on in the, the film is humanizing the um, residents or the patients so that the, the worker starts to understand and feel empathy for that person before they go in, um, before they go into the job and actually are sitting there with someone. So maybe taking away some of the preconceived ideas, some of the, the fears that maybe have been there since childhood from visiting elderly relatives in a, an old-fashioned nursing home that they remember from, from, as I say, years ago, that actually doesn't bear any sense of reality these days. And we'll continue this conversation in just a moment. Hey, quick question for you. Are you someone who wants to be fit, healthy, and happy? And what if I told you you could get your dream body by simply just listening to a podcast? I'm Josh. And I'm KG. And we're the hosts of the Fit, Healthy, and Happy podcast. Listen, we get it. Fitness isn't easy. Carbs, no carbs. Just stop, okay? It doesn't have to be that complicated. And that's why we made this podcast. We get straight to the facts so you can become your best you. So the way to check us out is click the link in the show notes or search Fit, Healthy, and Happy podcast on any of the major podcast platforms. We'll see you soon. Right. Um, And I think as a society, we try not to think about death and we try not to think about aging. It feels like something that we would rather not think about until we have to. But the reality is 90% of the people in the U.S. will end up being caregivers for someone. It's usually a family member. It might be a spouse. Um, But this applies to every person in, in in the states, at least, um, so or yeah. indeed the world. Yeah, it, yeah, it's it's a global issue, and as I started by saying, the, the, this the demographics, this population, is increasing rapidly. Uh, if we look ahead the next two or three decades, uh, and it's quite startling in in a sense that I think we are probably underprepared for for what is coming in the years to come. So what you're doing is is really good. I think what really interests me is in terms of the rewards that people get once they get into these jobs, I suspect are far greater than they might have expected. If they're properly trained to have the right expectations for the job, then the rewards can be fantastic. If they feel like they're going into a job that's going to be um, easy or like um, where everyone's going to be sort of chummy chummy, uh, then when they show up and they realize how hard the job is, then they leave. So you, you have to prepare them for both the, the positive and the negative. So you don't sugarcoat it, that it, it, it actually can be quite tough and quite demanding to, to deal with this population. I mean, I couldn't do the job. That's how hard it is. Um, I have such deep respect for the people who are um, caregivers or certified nursing assistants. The job that they do is... Um, it's not just that they should have dignity in their work. We, as a society, owe so much to them. And there is, I'm sure, there's a there's a two-way benefit when the younger generation that you're training to look after the 
elderly population really get to know each other. And I've seen this for myself in, in many assisted uh, living facilities that I've been to, some to interview people for this podcast, that there really is a, a two-way benefit, especially when you're mixing the generations, when you're getting older people and their wisdom and those that want to talk. And a lot of elderly people really just want to talk and, and share their wisdom. Um, I think both generations can learn. Right. Um, one exciting thing that I've been seeing in some uh, nursing homes around the country is they're starting to put in um, pre-K or daycares in, in the nursing home, um, which is an interesting uh, fix for the caregivers that uh, need childcare most of the time. But it's exactly what you're saying. When you bring together two generations, um, they can start to learn from each other. Um, and it helps both sides, for sure. One thing I've, I've seen, I actually haven't seen it for myself yet, but I, I hope to, but have read a lot about places where, and especially university towns, where students are now living within a, a facility, an assisted living facility, uh, usually for free, but and the, the payoff is that they spend some time and they essentially donate their time. It could just be talking, it could be kitchen work, it could be preparing meals. But uh, I think that generation especially clearly there's a fiscal benefit to, to free board and lodgings right um but um, it's, it's a novel idea and I'm, I'm wondering have you come across anything like that um i, I have I, uh, same type of uh, project and and i do think that these are the kind of solutions that we're going to need to be thinking about it, it where we're solving multiple problems at the same time um like you said earlier i don't think we've taken into account how much the aging pop- population is going to affect the economy um, and if we can look at ways where aging people are taking care of young children uh, partially or young adults are able to live with um, people in the aging population, we're, we're solving several problems at the same time. Um, and that's really the type of thinking that needs to be brought to this space. I'm just curious, you, you say you couldn't do the job, and I'm not so sure that I could either. But what have you learned that maybe you apply to your life from the work that you do and from the education that you facilitate for people to work in this area? Is there something that you've seen, that you've learned that that's adjusted your own mental attitude towards growing older? You know, it's so easy to look at people and prejudge them and to think like, I see this old, older person and I think I just see an old person. I don't see the child as she was growing up or the teenager or the, the woman who got married or the man who got the job promotion or traveled overseas. But but the people in front of us, these aging population, they, they have tons of stories and a whole beautiful life lived. Um, and I think that that was a real challenging thing for me to not just dismiss people uh, just because of how they look. You've had a a fascinating life and, and obviously continue to do so with, with this this work do you have a goal in the future is there something clearly that you're, you're developing this company do you have something have you set your eye on something that you would like to achieve My, what gets me up in the morning with this work is um so you look around and i see this country that is really divided and a lot of it again, comes back to economics, comes back to job growth. And if we can be part of solving that problem, of getting all of these populations all over the country, from rural Kentucky to Baltimore to um, California, 
to, to bring people together to remember that work can be uh, something they can be proud of, um, it, whether or not that's in the healthcare space or the, the uh, skilled trade space, but that people will um, remember that they have pride in their work. Um, and I'd like to do that at scale. Uh, I'd like to be, play a big part in um, making that change in our society. Are you, and maybe I detect it a little bit, are you a little frustrated with this country at the moment? Well, uh, I moved back to the States when I was um, 25 uh, from Israel. And part of the reason I moved back um, was for a number of reasons. But one of them was uh, it was the middle of the second uh, intifada. Um, and the country was in a really complex state. And I said, hey, you know, I'm going to move back to America where things are simple. <laughs> and that doesn't seem to have worked out. <laughs> um, so, uh, I, you know, my, my partner comes from a town uh, with 750 people in rural Colorado. Um, I'm sure everybody voted uh, conservative, Republican there. But when you go there and you see people who are white, multi-generational poverty, it's, it's understandable why they're making their choices. And I think it's so easy for us to forget the humanity of people who are different from us. Um, so, of course, it's frustrating. But if we can start to at least have conversations and understand that people are not all that different from each other. Um, just one last thing on that, you know. When I go to these towns like in eastern Kentucky or rural Texas or Baltimore or East Hartford, the interesting thing is that if you remove how the people look, they're all actually saying the same thing. And they have the same desires uh, for their families, for their lives. So, so yeah, it's frustrating, but, you know, what can you know? <laughs> mm, no, no, that, it's, a, it's a beautiful thought. And one I think that resonates clearly with, with so many people. Um, just one final thought about you, and I tend to ask most people this question in closing. We talk about longevity, we talk about health span and lifespan on this podcast, with the emphasis being on, on health span as opposed to, to lifespan. As you get older, do you have certain aspirations for yourself just in purely looking at the aging process and how do you live your life today perhaps to, to reach those goals? Yeah, um, so it, as somebody who's middle-aged... Can I ask your age? I will be 40 in uh, March. Um, but I have a so young middle aged. Yeah, but I have a twenty year old, so I feel like that pushes me. <laughs> into a, 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 you can add another fifteen years because of that. Okay. Um, so I am a weightlifter, and one of the things I'm really interested in is how can we increase strength among people who are not, you know, twenty five. And the needs that I have in athletics are different than somebody who's twenty. Um, and are more similar to somebody who's 50. So for me personally, um, I would like to be a person who's 80 and still lifting. Um, I feel like that that's, a, that's an aspiration that I have. I agree with you. It is so crucially important to, to maintain your physical strength as you get older. One of the great hazards for people, of course, is just simply falling over and breaking right. a bone. And then that often is the beginning, sadly, of, of the end, uh, a broken bone, a broken hip, that kind of right. thing. And physical strength is, is so important there. So just to delve a little deeper, then what kind of weightlifting do you do? Uh, so I do um, powerlifting. Um, I, so, you know, all of the classic stuff, bench pressing and they, you know, Everything that goes into to that, and I really push myself pretty hard, 
But you have to do things differently than when you're younger. Your muscles may still be strong, but your tendons probably aren't, let's say. Another great benefit of weightlifting um, as you're aging is it, it does um, uh, help your bones to be stronger. Um, so as you're mentioning about falling, it, it really has multiple positive effects on the, on the body. And it gives you, you a mental boost as well. Just the physicality of doing it gives you, I suppose, the endorphin rush after you've been working out. But overall, it makes you feel great, doesn't it? I would go crazy if I had to stop. If for some reason I had to stop um, lifting, it, it would make me a crazy person. Because <laughs> it, it is the place where, you know, some people do yoga, meditation. For me, it is a place where I can stop for a moment and just reconnect with my body and movement and feel each of the muscles and that to me is is the way that i both unwind but also sort of ground myself we had a, a guest on the podcast a few weeks ago a, a lady in her 70s powerlifting. she didn't start till she retired and, and realized that she needed to do something she needed to do something physically to in, improve herself but uh, she's now competing internationally in fact in her age group she is the world champion and, That's awesome. And she started after she retired. This is Sue Albert. That's fantastic. Joe, it's been a, a real pleasure to meet you. All the best with your business endeavours. I think it, the purpose is, is great. The long-term goal is, is fantastic. So thank you very much indeed. Well, thank you. And if you'd like more information about Joe's work, a link to Cognotion and Joe's social media connections, you can go to the show notes for this episode. You'll find them at our Live Long and Master Aging website. That's llamapodcast.com, double L-A-M-A podcast.com. You can get in touch and follow what we do at Llama Podcast on Facebook and Twitter. Many thanks for listening. FlexBeam is a portable red light therapy device that's now being used by leading athletes, including the Norwegian tennis player Kasper Rude. Whenever you put the FlexBeam on, you feel it starts to work right away. I need something that can help repair all the fibres that I have broken in the surfs. The infrared lights penetrate your skin and makes the muscle tissue recover faster. FlexBeam, I keep it with me all the time. Recharge Health is offering Llama Podcast listeners an $80 discount on the purchase of a FlexBeam device. Go to the website recharge.health and use the code LLAMA at checkout. That's L-L-A-M-A. You'll also find the link in the show notes for this episode.